Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This episode is with playwright and actor Amber Hughes. I have the great honor of being in Amber's play, Beautiful Moon, which is going up at West of Lennon this Monday, March 28th at 7 p.m. Tickets are pay what you will. Reservations are recommended. It can be made on Parley's website, which I will link to in the episode description. Parley is also in the midst of a fundraising campaign, uh, so please check that out as well. They're really close to hitting their goal. I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, West of Lennon. West of Lennon, I love that space. I've seen it used many different ways. Since opening their doors in 2011, West of Lennon has been the choice of many theater and performance art companies looking for a place to house their projects. They work with their renters to create a professional and versatile experience which best suits their art. Previous renters include Sandbox Radio, Book It Repertory Theater, New Century Theater Company, Pocket Theater, Theater 22, Sis Productions, Map Theater, Live Girls Theater, and many more. West of Lennon sets out to create long-standing relationships with the local theater community, providing a link to live theater in the Fremont area. Learn more at westoflennon.com. Thanks to everyone for listening to the podcast. As always, please visit visit. Articulation's going really well today. Uh, theatricalmustang.podbean.com to listen to previous episodes, to donate, to learn how to become a sponsor. That's all you need to do. Visit the website. Tell us what you think. Suggest an episode guest. Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy episode 78 with playwright and actor Amber Hughes. I'm excited to welcome Amber Hughes to the podcast. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. Amber's a playwright, and we just finished our tech for her newest play, Beautiful Moon, produced by Parley Productions. Tell me about the process of this play, what Parley is, and how this play got to the point where we're about to do a stage reading for it. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it makes more sense to start with what Parley is. Yeah. Um, Parley is, well, I guess I took a writing class, so I'm, I primarily am an actor. I like kind of got into theater as an actor and I love to direct, but when I looked at like biggest fears in my life, playwriting was like my biggest fear. And so I was, I was in graduate school at the time and I was like, I'm going to take a playwriting class. Uh, so I signed up for a class at Freehold and was like, after going through it, um, I was like, okay, I'm done now. And then got a lot of emails from people in the class encouraging us all to continue on. We did that and got to know Rebecca really well as a director and a write, was writing she teaching teacher. The class yeah. Okay. Rebecca was teaching playwriting one and playwriting two. Yep. So after that, those two classes ended, she had proposed this idea for a group um, where we would kind of continue on as a class, but it would also be this way to like put our plays out into the world, not just be on a paper and have actors bring the script to life in some sort of way. So that was her kind of like her masterful idea. And we were like, okay, let's do it. Two, three years ago? This was like May. I got, I got involved, I think in May or June, two years ago. Okay. Yeah. I think that's right. It's hard to keep track. 
Um, so we just are a writer's group and it sort of is the idea. It comes from the idea that a lot of times writers get feedback that's really critical. Um, and <laughs> there's not a lot of like positive feedback or there's people who doesn't, they don't know how to give yeah. feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And there's they're not a good opinionated. F- right. Yeah. Right. 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 Opinionated and think that you want to know like random strangers opinions of your play, which sometimes I think you might want to, but it's kind of hard to have that all that feedback when you're just like starting out. So, um, yeah, we're a group of people that meet weekly and we submit work on a weekly basis. Um, just scenes, anything that we're writing or working on. It could be even ideas that we're having, images. And then we get together every week um, for two hours and give responses to each other, ask questions of each other. Um, we get The writer gets to ask questions of the people reading and the readers get to ask questions of the writer. And that's sort of how we develop plays together. I know Seth Tankis is yeah. in the group. Who yeah. are some of the other playwrights? So some of that, well, we have two groups of Parley, which is great. It oh, grew. Right on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, some other write- playwrights, Ben Benet, Benjamin Benet, Caitlin Cooey, Sue McNally, um, Babs Lindsay, Celeste, we have Celeste Williams. Um, we have a lot of new people joining, I think a couple new people, Grace Carmack and Babs are new. Um, who Andrew Creech, we just had fantastic yeah, an actor. Ad, yeah, Did an ad he wrote in. as well. That's yeah, awesome. would like brand new as of this week. So, welcome to Andrew <laughs> and a lot of other people. Um, and over the two years that Parley's been in existence, how many plays, how many stage readings have happened? It's pretty yeah, impressive, right? Over over a dozen? And I lose track. I think it's like 16 or I yeah. could be off, 15 or 16. Yeah. And, and have you acted in any of them? Or? Yeah. I've acted in three, I think. Yeah, three plays. That was my – that's kind of another thing I love about this is it's a way for me to continue in the process in, like, many ways. I get to design sound a lot of times, too. Um and helping with like props and all that, it helps just kind of keep. Oh, it's like well-rounded experience of producing a play, not just to come in and do one job, but to really understand all elements. And other playwrights come in to support mm-hmm. being tech in the booth. Yes, yeah. is that common for each production? Yeah, and each usually it's like we have Monday night group and a Tuesday night group, and it's usually like you kind of support your night because that's the night you're free. Um, but yeah, the other playwrights take on jobs such as like sound. Um, light board op, being in charge of props, um, more on the product or like um, publicity side, helping with like Facebook and advertising and um, gathering bios. So yeah, it's like a group effort for sure. And it's very loyal following from what I hear. It's sort of outgrown small spaces. And so this reading specifically is going to be in the West of Lenin space. Yes. Uh, Monday night, we're posting this on Saturday. So that means that you can still go to Parley's website. So let's, I'm going to talk about how – so I actually submitted a video audition for uh, The Orchid and the Skull, which yes. is the other stage reading that's going up after this one, I believe. Mm-hmm. Hannah Merrill's play. And then uh, I'm sitting back, I was sitting backstage at 39 Steps checking my phone at intermission, and I get an email from yes. you that you had sort of – so did you scour all of the video auditions? Yes. Did you specifically not ask actors to submit four years? Did you want to see them do someone else's work? I want to, I just, I get to pick your brain now. Yeah, now that, how that happened. Um, well, thanks to Hannah, I had some support in the unplanned support. So I think Hannah was ahead um, in her casting process. She's a little, a week or two after mine. Sure. Um, so there, 
she had asked for video auditions so that we could avoid having people coming in because it just feels like a lot of work and sometimes it's just a lot to take on. So and you have to rent a space. Yeah, I hope that my suggestion. I mean, my suggestion. It's it's a little bit of a two edged sword because I know that not all actors have access yep. to being able to self tape and what whatnot. But for those who do, even if it's just on a phone or a friend's phone, whatnot, I like that trend yeah. a lot. I know. I think it might be a, something that starts to happen more. So how many submissions did Hannah, is Hannah, is what? Hannah. Hannah. Yeah. Did she get for her play? She had a lot. I feel, I was, um, so I had the Parley email attached to my phone randomly that week and I kept getting, I was like, man, she's getting a lot of people to submit. So yeah, maybe, maybe like, it felt like 40 or something. I mean, that could be totally off, but that's what it felt like. And so then you went through mm-hmm. and reached out. To- yeah. I was thinking I would just cast people that I knew and, um, when it came down to it, some of the people that I wanted to cast weren't available or I was having a hard, I think I was having a hard time casting, um, men and I, because I didn't really know any men that fit what I was wanting. Um, <laughs> so cast a gender queer actor. <laughs> yeah. Well done you. That's me folks. Yes. I'm talking about me. I play a pimp slash drug dealer. <laughs> a what did Rebecca say? A fantastic denasalized talking sofa. Nice. And, uh, of drill sergeant. Yes. So I am having a really great time. And thank you for being, because for me, that's a scary, as a scary, I, should I say it's scary? I don't know. It's don't a nerve wracking thing to now look at auditions and reach out to casting directors and say, yeah. will you consider me for male roles as well as female roles? So far, everyone has, at least in theory, been open to it. Mm-hmm. And then you put it into practice. So mm-hmm. well done, you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, I'm just grateful to have you. And I think I was just really excited when I saw your video audition. And so it really worked out for everyone. So yeah, that's a lesson, actor. Speak up if you, I mean, it would have been easy to slap me into person one or person mm-hmm. two. And then, but an actor, if I hadn't done that, would you have like, yeah, you, you'd in written in the emails. Do yeah. you think, or so what you'd? Um, I think what happened was first I decided and, um, I was like maybe I should reach out to the women because it was a Hannah's play says all, all women, women right? right? So I was like let's look at the women that submitted for Hannah's play and see. And I thought maybe I could just cast this play with women from that um, or from the women I've already asked. So I reached out to you knowing you'd audition for a role as a woman and what like the female part in her play. I don't know which one you were auditioning for, but I read for the the characters of them. that were not characters of color okay okay. <laughs> okay yeah that's right um and then yeah so when you wrote you responded and said that i'm um, gender fluid so it can be cast in either direction because i was looking at like would you know some people wouldn't want to play i don't or would they people feel comfortable playing many roles or even? i think some folks don't even think that they can ask yeah because theater is so yes. historically has been so gendered and so rigid about type. Yeah. But I think it's really exciting in how theater is changing, and especially a play like this where folks are playing many roles of different right. genders, um, regardless of their gender identity, is that you can be more open about it. And I hope that both directors and actors start asking for mm-hmm. for more um freedom in casting i guess that's my hope yeah that's my hope seems like a good hope a good hope yeah yeah so do playwrights always cast their own work with Gosh. harley or does that sort of because it, it's pretty standard that rebecca is directing all the pieces mm-hmm. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yeah it has been that way um it's 
let's see, looking back at it, it's felt like, so it's, it's gone a lot. We used to do more auditions. And so it would be a kind of a dual effort, Rebecca and the writer. And a lot of times the other writers would come and have like sort of, oh, this seems like, cause they've been with the play all along. So sure. they know the character and they might have, it's like a group effort to cast if everyone, whoever's there at the audition. But now that we've gone from like less not liking to have auditions necessarily and we have a huge pool of actors that we've already worked with to pull from it feels like we can just do that and it does end up feeling like um the still rebecca and the writer kind of do the majority of that now especially if we don't have an in-person audition it's a lot of emailing and texting um, but this time around with the scheduling we had we were really really busy doing overlapping plays and so i did i feel like i got started Asked Rebecca if it'd be okay for me to look at those videos and asked who she'd, who she'd already cast in Hannah's play and sure. then just started emailing people on my own. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Where did this, where did this play come from? But I'm going to ask you a question, then I'm going to say some more before you answer. <laughs> okay. I, I don't really think in a linear way. Um, I was struck after the first read through, uh, it's a stunning play. Some of the, it's just beautiful, and but it takes us in places that a traditional play might not. And so we're going mm-hmm. to a train. We're outside, and now we're in a schoolroom and mm-hmm. changing it up a lot. And then at the end of that read-through, we discover, I discovered, I didn't know that you uh, have training as a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you can answer your question. <laughs> and that it made the play make so much more sense to me, really? knowing that about you. Yeah. How, so, what can you say more about that? Like, sure. Well, what? talking about how you were, um, so you have some you have some uh, experience working with foster, the mm-hmm. foster foster mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. Uh, and what it what would the world look like mm-hmm. to a foster child mm-hmm. who is going from place to place and doesn't quite have the context of who's in charge and. Uh, who should be taking care of me? Mm-hmm. What is love? Yeah. Uh, and so that made yeah more sense yeah. to me after I knew that about you. Yeah. And that makes sense too, that I know that we, not everyone in the audience, whoever would see is going to see this will know that about me and maybe it's in my bio probably. Um, but it does feel like, uh, it adds a lot to the, to understanding the world of the play to know that. But yeah, I think it came, the idea came from, honestly, like being really, really stuck. And I was having a hard time finding like what I wanted to write about. And I was thinking about the children that I had been working with the past year at at a mental health agency called Atlantic Street Center. And I was just holding a lot of story and a lot of like experiences that were really hard to like understand. And I think that's what writing is for is sort of putting out there these things that are living inside of us that don't necessarily make sense. But And also I'm working with adults right now who are going through a a training program to be counselors at the school I went to. And there's a lot of having to process your childhood in order to understand who you are today. Right. So I'm getting a ton of um, stories about people's childhoods that are really, really chaotic and confusing and disorganized and violent um, and trying to find in my school the, the sort of orientation is toward brokenness and beauty together in the same space. Okay. So looking at our stories and finding where we have brokenness and then being able to find the beauty in that. Um, so that's, I think where I was coming from is that's where I'm operating out of right now. 
So this for me feels like a play about brokenness in not just systems, um, but like larger systems, but family systems, um, which operate underneath these larger systems. Um, so yeah, some of the things you said about like, what does love look like, um, to a child that doesn't have a consistent home and doesn't know who is supposed to take care of them. Um, it feels scary. And, but yet there's this sort of, because you can't expect there to be someone consistent, you have to rely on yourself and sort of disconnect. And, um, I, that's like, um, I think something I struggled with, even though I wasn't in foster care a lot of times because my parents might not have been always really able to take care of me. Well, I kind of had to learn to mother myself and father myself. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. This feels like a personal and play. It feels, no, it feels normal, yeah. right? I mean, there were so many. I was raised largely by my mother, who had, had. I mean, she's still alive. I'm not currently talking to her. <laughs> oh, um, but definitely struggles with depression and mm-hmm. anxiety that mm-hmm. probably should have been medicated, right. and she was offered medicine and threw it away. Um, hmm. And just how you think that's normal mm-hmm. that that behavior that one-on-one you're a kid there's no other witnesses yeah. right I shouldn't say witnesses but that becomes your world and it's so small and then it wasn't really until I got to college and folks were like what wait that was what it was mm-hmm. like growing up like that's really like not no no like you yeah. get to be your own person now like and you're like oh wait what yeah it's funny that you say witness and then catch yourself in that because to me, as a therapist, I consider myself uh, the like the part of healing. The healing journey is being able to bear witness to the brokenness and to see the beauty and offer that as a reflection, or to say to someone, "That's not normal." Like that, and for someone to go, "What? That wasn't your experience?" Because it becomes their normal, right? Yeah, their normal is chaotic, and maybe you know, I think we we all struggle with chaotic, but some more chaotic than others. And a lot of times we just learn to dismiss the pain of our childhood. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. I don't want to get too much into your therapy yeah. session because you're off the clock right I now. Know. But, uh, I, I totally get that. Cause I feel when I was growing up, there was a lot of one parent complaining about the other to right. me. Right. And then how, and when there's fighting or whatever, I couldn't relate to, uh, Emily Pike's character in this because you sort of just it's reflexive to not it becomes reflective reflexive not to confront things Mm -hmm. and that's what and for me in my life being like I I cannot confront people I can't Hmm. I well it's very very challenging you notice it's a challenge like like physically painful to be like wow I want to do anything I can to avoid that and Mm -hmm. like knowing that because of the chaos growing mm-hmm. up. Uh, so you have this kind of interesting triangle of acting, mm-hmm. writing, mm-hmm. mental health professional. Mm-hmm. How does that, how does each point on that triangle inform the mm-hmm. other two for you? Yeah, it's funny because I, I got, I went, first I got into graduate school for as an actor and at DePaul and I went to, I moved can, to Chicago. Can we just, can, I just want to time, a time out because <laughs> this is year two for me and I know other friends who have been uh, auditioning for um, MFAs in acting. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Because very sweet. that, a lot of folks don't know that a lot of places, they're only taking eight, eight to ten people and sometimes every three years yeah. and there are thousands of actors 
trying to get those spots. Yeah. So congratulations. First Thank of all. You. Okay. So you're in yeah. DePaul. So, no, Chicago. well, I got in. Oh, I got moved, into DePaul. And I had this really bad stomach ache over it for, uh, right. Maybe two months before I needed to go. And so I ended up through a process of like a really challenging process, a lot of tears, writing an email to my cohort, seven other people saying, I'm not going to be able to join you all in a month or a few weeks. Um, it just didn't feel like my life was supposed to be life of an actor fully and that the like loans I would be in the debt that I would be in for that. Cause it wasn't a skull. It wasn't, they were not going to pay me at DePaul to go. Right. So right. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it and thought, you know, there's something telling me that like there's a way for me to do this differently that I can't even see yet. Um, so, and I still think that right now I feel like I'm, I'm in the process of that. But when I got to, I moved back to Seattle after a year in Chicago of auditioning and just living, I went to this graduate school that um, really focuses on story and really invites artists. And so I didn't even know that I wanted to be a therapist. I actually got there and was I'd never seen a therapist as an adult. Um, and I was like, oh, the people that go here want to be therapists. Like, And I was like a year in and I was like, hmm, maybe I want to – I don't know. What school is this? Um, the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Oh, right. My friend uh, Darcy Noonan took a couple classes there. Okay, yeah. cool. So it's Why a really, not? really interesting space. Yeah. Um, so I ended up there and, and, you know, three years later graduated with a master's in counseling psychology and now am a therapist. Um, and I figured out along the way that is, that is what I wanted to do, but the way it informs me, I think throughout the process, I was telling a lot of people how they were like, how can you be in, in theater and therapy? And I said, I think they're the same. They're very much the yeah. same. They're theater, very much the same for theater me. Theater is therapy Yeah, for me. That's, I think I've said this before and this is, this you're learning a lot about Woodzik in this interview, Good. folks. We're going deep. Uh, there have been times when I have been suffering from depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I have... Theater has been what has kept me from self-harm. Mm-hmm. Because I have this show. I'm booked out until, you know, mm-hmm. two, three, four, five months down the line. And that's what keeps me alive in a way. Yeah. You know, like seeing that positive thing that's going to be happening, that family temporarily that's going to come around me and support me. It keeps me alive. And I even think that like the part of theater for me that felt like really um, part of my development as a human being was that I was able to look at myself and ask questions of myself, not only as a person playing a role, but a person, now I get to ask, like, as an actor or the, the character, I get to think about being me and being another person and how do they bump up against each other, right? Yeah. So I'm getting to look at my look into a mirror all the time constantly and having to think about what do I believe about this character I'm playing? How do I feel? How can I find empathy? So there's this, like, soul-searching that goes on that feels like a, a depth I wasn't getting, right, outside in the world. And that – how do you tell a story – in a meaningful way? How do you understand the story of this character as an actor, like coming at it to make the audience buy in or to care, to give a shit really. And as a therapist, that's what I feel like you're doing too, is you're, you're getting people to give a shit about their story and to see that there, there there are like reasons why they behave that way, not just on stage or in a scene, but like they're behaving that way in real life because X, Y, Z. So you're so, sort of unpacking their backstory. Yeah. <laughs> I hate backstory for characters. Oh, sorry. That, you do? That's such a bad actor thing. But uh, I shouldn't say I hate it. I have challenges when directors are like, so you're doing your homework right. Like, you've come mm-hmm. in, every character, you know, like, where they grew up and, uh, like, yeah, I'll 
do that if asked. Yeah. But my process is that is not where I go. Yeah. yeah. Naturally. And maybe it's not necessarily like know your whole background, where you come from and what your neighborhood was like, but more about relational dynamics. How, how, when do you get vulnerable? When do you not? What scares you? What doesn't? Um, Those things that come out more in the scene that you're, you have to ask yourself, not just the stuff that really doesn't show up in the play. I mean, it shows up. Everyone has a different process. Right. But so I think that's how it informs me. Those two things connect. And then I think I'm talking about all three. Yeah, talking about how all three. It, how does it circle back to the, the writing? Writing. you have these stories that you need to, you want to share, you want to process the world through that. Yeah, writing's the hardest part for me. I feel like yeah? I'm a way better therapist and a way better actor. That's how I feel. Um, yeah, I think writing is scary because how, hmm. Yeah, actually, I think it's just a matter of, for me right now, it's a place of where I'm trying to grow. So I'm trying to grow by risking trying something that I don't feel like very clear at or good at necessarily I I think sometimes I'm like oh yeah I'm not bad at this and I'm I used to think before that I couldn't do it now I'm like I can do it it's just hard and I'm gonna keep doing it I think it's giving yourself that's what I because I've I've written some short plays um that's a part that I would like to challenge yeah myself in as as well but for me it's really hard to give myself permission to write plays Mm -hmm. it's sort of what yeah I don't know. It feels, it doesn't feel like I, cause I have, and I mean, <clears throat> take a playwriting class with Zick, but <clears throat> I don't know. It's interesting. And I was at, uh, I was lucky enough to be at AWP, which is the American conference of writers and publishers. I believe mm. is the acronym, um, at, in Boston a couple of years ago. And they had a panel that was playwright as actor, actor as playwright. Hmm. And their whole thing was no one is more qualified to be a playwright than an actor. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, I, do you find that since you spent yeah. what did you? I mean, you spent years as an actor, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't necessarily in Seattle like auditioning because I lived in Chicago and and North Carolina, so it was like college and after college and before college. So, yeah. Um, but what I think of, what kind of roles were you playing? Gosh, I was playing. Well, I think one of the last plays I was in was Electra. I was Electra. So it was a Greek, you know, really dramatic, yeah. lots of uh, really big stuff. And I played, also played Cass in Wonder of the World, which is like kind of goofy and, um, f- like fun. Um, shake, I did, I just did a lot of things. I think I really enjoyed plays that, that were not, um, just to entertain, but really got to like push people in, in uncomfortable ways. Um, but yeah, I think the question of like, what, as an actor, you're most qualified to be a playwright. That does make sense to me. Rebecca has oftentimes said that I write for the actors. Like, I understand what actors would would love to have in a script, and I'm like, like a talking couch. Yeah. <laughs> so I do feel like that comes maybe that comes more naturally. I don't have to really think about it. I'm like, I would love this, or I, this stage direction would give me a lot of room as an actor. So I think that part feels really um, that that gives me some insight in a way that not all writers would have. Yeah. Let's talk about, because you had one reading produced by Parley mm-hmm. previous to this. Yeah. And you sort of alluded a little bit in rehearsal that these two plays are very mm-hmm. different. So tell me about that play and tell me about your writing process overall. Yeah. Well, that play was about porn in the porn industry. So okay. it was a lot different because I feel like I came at this play trying to write a kid's play. And then the last one, not a kid's play, but I was in a class at my school called Sexual Disorders, and I was, 
Oh, which ended up not oh. being class about sexual disorders. And I don't think that, I think, well, I think basically it's like all sexuality is not, there's no normal sexuality, right? It's all honest, you know. I think our, our default is, well, you, you know, you find someone in college shortly afterwards, you marry them, it's probably right. heteronormative, right. and you'll have kids, and then maybe sex a couple times a year. Like, <laughs> and you'll hate it if common, you're a woman, is right, one of their messages. Like that's the here. most common story that we get told, but that is so little of what human sexuality actually right. is. Right. I was interrupting you. Please go No, on. no, that's not interrupting. I love it. Um, no, I just think I wrote because I was really just felt like I was drowning in a lot of my own personal life, like exploration of my, of sexuality in my family and understanding how I developed my own sexuality and like where I'm at now and what things intrigue me. And I can't remember where the porn stuff came. I think I wrote a scene randomly and I not thinking a lot about it, there was a character who was at a photo sh- a pornography photo shoot, and this really great scene came, and everyone loved it. And people in my group were like, "Just keep writing." I was like, "All right, like no plans for any play, but it, it ended up being this is the play I was going to write, and it was definitely not easy." Um, so you started from that scene, and I love hearing that yeah. because I think we're so. Well, the textbook is you should start with Act One, Scene One, and the stage mm-hmm. directions. So that's cool that you started in the middle or whatever, yeah. just a scene and it sort of grew from there. Yeah. And so what was the timeline from writing that first scene to having a working draft of a script, would you say? Gosh, maybe, I mean, this is my very first play, so yeah. ever, not even written a short play, um, maybe a year and a half to even longer. Yeah. At least a year and a half, maybe two, almost close to two years. Cause I started that scene in playwriting class. So it moved did, over. What was the process of that unfolding for you? Um, just trying to like, I basically had these characters that felt really vivid, um, super vivid and not in the world of the play felt really vivid, did not have a story, didn't know what I wanted to say, didn't even know what I felt about it. So it felt like I was writing scenes and still ha- and having to say, hmm, I don't even know if that's really how I feel or what am I saying? What's this character saying in me? Because it, it did feel like... The, the seven characters in my play were like seven people living inside of me who were like having a conversation about sexuality and porn and things about women and about men and like violence and yeah. And the, the like ways that violence and sexuality kind of, what I know as a therapist is that where we're like place that we're sometimes are arousing, like pain and arousal are linked. So mm-hmm. that was like intriguing to me. Um, yeah, so I just kept writing these characters and scenes and figuring out a storyline. It was really hard to get a story, even like up to the last month. I was like not having an ending. I didn't know what my play was about. I was pretty depressed actually for a good month of it at the end um, because I could not get my. I felt like I was falling into a hole of darkness. <laughs> it was really hard. So I'm. I don't know. Thank you for sharing that though, because I think that the. There's a myth that the creative process is the same for mm-hmm. everyone. Or if you show up at the page every day, that's not my process mm-hmm. as a writer at all. I I write to, I sit down when inspiration strikes. And yes, I probably could be more vigilant about it. But there are times when you look at what you've written and you feel abysmal, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. not everything that we write is good. Some things that we write are shit. Mm-hmm. And we can be really, really... Hard on ourselves. Yes, I've never had to come so close to the part of myself that's so mean to myself. That was hard. Yeah, it was pretty like pretty nasty things I would say to myself, and like that's where I think the main difference in my writing process this time has been is I haven't had not one 
negative voice to myself this whole process, which maybe like little bits, but sure. I'm, I just like swat it away and it goes away like a little fly. So that first, what was, what was the first It was called? called Thirst. Thirst? Yeah. Okay. Was there something about seeing the finished product that made you proud of yourself, made you able to push on and have a more positive experience the second time? Yeah, I think part of it I can, you know, say I think so. I just seeing it and seeing like, okay, I had a lot of people come out. It felt really good to do it. Um I loved my cast. They were the best people to have. That was honestly the best thing that could have happened is a cast, right? Like I would have it would have been a different experience. Um and it was just like uh, one of those like hurdles that you just get over in life and I think the next time you try, you're just like, "Oh, I have muscles for this." So I think I had muscles for this process and I also had muscles of like self-compassion that I didn't have before. Yeah. So where did this, where did Beautiful Moon start? Was it just the stories were sort of bubbling to the surface from your Mm -hmm. work and then thirst was over and so you had to start writing something else? Yeah, I was like writing for like a whole summer before this scene, a scene from this play came. And the reason the scene from this play came in like late August was um, a year, over a year ago, I guess, um, was because I read, a, I was looking at children's books and reading a lot of children's books, and I read a book called Beautiful Moon, A Child's Prayer. Um, so I read this book, and it was just a, mostly pictures, really beautiful images, but of a child praying uh, for, like, the suffering in the world. So there's a few characters that, like, kind of sh- scenes that were shaped from, like, the images in that book. But, um, and then it sort of got filled in with my stories that I'm holding. But, yeah, it was some, this really compelling book, so I would recommend everyone get it I, w- I tried to buy like beautiful moon a child's prayer for everyone in the cast and it cost too much money to buy because they're like 50, like 18 dollars each for the picture book wow yeah well so maybe, was you could, maybe you could bring one in on Monday maybe so i can, can yeah can, read it. it we can look it in look, look at it in it. <laughs> look at it take it in why don't you run us through uh the rest of our cast and so people mm-hmm. will be like "Ooh, i want to see them they're awesome yes so we have um I don't know if I have everyone's last name, but I know Sophie, Sophie Franco. Um, who because she lies and moon. says that she's James Franco's cousin. Yeah. To screw with people sometimes. That's yeah. how I remember her last name. And I met, and I met Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. But James Franco has a brother, and James Franco's brother's in a really bad movie. Have you seen? I don't know if you've heard. Never mind. Okay. I know. He's Dave like, Franco. Yeah. Little brother or something? Yeah. Really, really bad actor, I think. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, so I knew Sophie because we were Sophie in... Sophie Franco is not a bad actor. No. She's a fantastic yes. actor. Um, yeah, we met at the Theater Batteries, um, 24-hour play festival, and we were both acting in a piece that was a silent piece about... We did, like, Joshua Hamilton wrote our play, and it was about Star Wars and waiting in line for the ne- next Star Wars movie. And so Sophie and I, like, lightsaber battled for, like, 15 minutes. And so I was like, we got to work together again. It was just so fun, and I wanted to see her have words, like, speak on stage, because <laughs> she was so good moving. She, she has... I think she has the most words in yeah, this play, just about. Probably. So, yeah. So then we have um, Isis King, who's been in a couple of Parley shows. Um, I was just in one with her, Ryan's play. Ryan Fields did the last play. And who else? Um, Varsha, who I just met through the video. Um, She's incredible. Yeah. I think Varsha just moved here from the East Coast. So she's new to Seattle. So if you want to work with Varsha, hit her up. Yeah, please do. And she's – I know that – She's going to be in Forward Flexes 
yep. upcoming season. Yep. So there'll be opportunities to yes, see her. Yes. Yes. Um, and then you. Me. And um, <laughs> and Emily Pike. Yeah. And that's that's everybody. That's right? us. Yeah. That's us. That's Emily fine. Pike plays a little girl so well. Yeah. It is really. She's sweet. Really beautiful. Really mm-hmm. stunning. And I was I Emily. How did uh, we've worked with her before many times? So just loved her. Yeah. Right on. What do you like most about working with Rebecca as a director? Well, she's a friend, so she knows, and she knows um, our hearts in this. So she, and she really, I think one time, what I really believe when she says it is that she wants us to have what we want, what we envision. So she really, to like little things, like even just in the booth earlier in the begin with the beginning of the show, she totally reads me when it's like, she understands that it's not what I wanted or what I imagined. So she helps get exactly what, how, as close as you can to what you imagined it to look like. Um, and she really, really cares. She reads your work and really puts in, I mean, I don't know how she does it. Like when she reads our work weekly and the feedback she gives, it's just really her heart and soul in it. So it's, it feels, you feel supported in like the, the meaning, like that she wants your play to be really good. And she loves, um, the characters and the story. And she really just puts a lot into it to helping you develop. So I do want to mention that Harley is in the middle of a, uh, crowdfunding campaign Mm -hmm. that goes until April 3rd. Uh, I saw that you're over halfway funded, which is amazing. We're actually like $700 away from meeting our goal. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, well, first you should you should donate to both the podcast and Parley yes. because you should support interviews like this one with new playwrights and new plays being produced. So uh, we will have the link to that in the episode description. So go give some money to some local theatrical endeavors. Yes, it's our first and only fundraising campaign ever, so it's kind of exciting to have that be that close. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, what's next for you? I don't know. You don't know. No, That's I'm, kind of a juicy place to be in, right? Yeah, I think. Well, I'm. I'm currently trying to start a practice, a private practice as a therapist. So I have a lot of, um, business stuff to figure out this summer, but aside from that, continuing to write with Parley, it's cause it's, that's the easiest thing for me to do. It's a Monday night commitment and I can show up and I can write on my free in my free time. So hopefully another play will come, um, to me somehow. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I okay. Know. So folks, if you're listening to this before Monday, March 28th, you're going to want to come down to West of Lennon at 7 p.m. Well, a little before 7. 7. Yeah. By 7. Uh, if you're listening to this before, right before then, please uh, visit the link in our episode description to go and reserve your tickets. Tickets are pay what you will, uh, but it's good to reserve them ahead of time. Can you take us out with one of your favorite lines from the play? Oh, my gosh. Do you, oh, let me think about it. Um... Yeah, one of my favorite lines in the play happened to like give, bring tears to my eyes tonight, today, this morning, um, was, you're going to be okay. Just, yeah. Listeners, you're going to be okay. Amber Hughes, you're more than okay. You're fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sitting down and talking with me about your process. And I am honored to work on this play with you. Oh, and I'm excited you. to see what you write and act in next. Thank you.